Hello and welcome to Mother Bodies, the podcast about health after birth and why it matters. I'm your host, Rosie Taylor. I'm a health journalist and I'm also a mum. In this series, I'm asking some brilliant, wise and witty guests to share their thoughts on how the politics of postnatal health affects us all and the big ideas which could change our lives for the better. Most importantly, we'll also be sharing our own stories of health and recovery after birth and our honest experiences of motherhood. That's because it's only by sharing our stories that we can empower each other to ensure we all know what to expect and to make sure we all get the care and support we need, both after birth and throughout motherhood. This is Mother Bodies. So I'm really excited about my guest today. Jessica Hatchamore has literally written the book on postnatal health. She is the author of Afterbirth, a book about how to recover your body and mind after having a baby. Before she became a mother, Jessica spent years living in East Africa, where she reported from conflict zones on women's rights and health. She now lives in North Wales and finished writing Afterbirth just two weeks before the birth of her second baby. Now, before we launch into my chat with Jessica, I just wanted to give you guys a little bit of an update about me. So as you'll know, I'm a health journalist and I'm a mum, but I haven't really explained before my particular interest in postnatal health and where it comes from. Um, And I've always been interested in women's and children's rights and health. Um, It's a topic I've focused on in my journalism increasingly over the years. But postnatal health really made itself known to me after the birth of my son just before lockdown in 2020. I experienced a a serious birth injury. So my pelvic bone was damaged during the delivery. Essentially, my pelvis dislocated. So instead of my pelvis being a nice, sturdy ring of bone held together by a joint of strong cartilage in the middle at your pubis, basically where your clitoris is, um, that joint ruptured and my pelvis broke into two pieces, essentially. And that caused immobility and pain, a lot of pain, as you can imagine. Um, and it essentially left me completely unable to walk, turn, lie down, stand up straight, sit up normally for a good six months after my son was born. And I was on crutches for most of the first year of his life and I still have mobility problems. I still can't move my legs properly. And I also experienced very poor care after suffering this injury. It wasn't diagnosed for a week. Um, So I was sort of told to get on with it and and keep looking after my baby, despite the fact I I couldn't walk at all or, or really even move. And many things happened as a result of that that were difficult and traumatizing and Many months later, I was diagnosed with PTSD that had been triggered by those experiences. So I'm quite nervous sharing this story for the first time publicly. And I have always been quite hesitant to explain in detail exactly what happened to me because it is quite a rare thing to happen. The statistics are sort of wildly unreliable, but something like one in 30,000 births end in the injury that I had which is called pubis symphysis diastasis but I think you know I launched this podcast to create a platform where we could talk openly about issues to help educate and empower each other so I think it's really important that I share my story too and that's why I talk about it on this episode with Jessica for the first time now let's crack on with today's episode 
I started by asking Jessica about a scene she describes in her book, where she leaps into a freezing cold river that runs at the bottom of her garden, full of water that's come straight off the mountains in North Wales. She explained that jumping in the icy water was the start of a really important process of her rediscovering herself after having a child. I just felt very trapped, very claustrophobic. I didn't have a way of like raising my uh, endorphins and feeling feeling free somehow. And I was sort of looking, sitting in this beautiful place, looking at the hills. And like, okay, I'd walk in the hills, but it would always be with a baby strapped to me. And that was nice, but it didn't deliver what I needed. I was just getting really claustrophobic, I think, in those first early weeks. There was a point, I can't remember what happened. I think I did something stupid, like I scratched the car. I got really stressed and my husband was there and he was like, I think you just need to like do something just just get your swimming costume and go for a swim in the river and he practically frog marched me there and like was sat and watched on the riverbank with the baby and it was cold it was the end of October the baby was like I don't know he was about five weeks old um and I got in and it was freezing and I felt like myself again for the first time in so long and I just felt so lifted by it and and then I continued to do that quite deliberately actually whenever I was noticing that I was really struggling and fed up it sounds like it's something that's so good for both your sort of physical health but also your soul yes it's really good for your soul and it's also because it's quite cold in in the river here because it comes down off the mountains in snowdonia it doesn't take very long either which when you've got baby is ideal because you don't have very long that is the perfect sort of postnatal exercise isn't it free and really quick Quick. (laughs) exactly (laughs) two things you don't have much of after having a baby is money and time so (laughs) that sounds great and that actually leads me on really well to my next question because in after birth you talk a lot about diet and fitness and exercise and what we sort of should be doing when you were doing your research what did you come across as being the most important things we should be doing and how did that compare to the kind of advice and the images we sort of get bombarded with on social media so you can research and research and research and research and what's the best thing that i can do for my body and i remember talking to a nutritionist ross barr who's brilliant and he was saying like oh you really need high quality vitamins that are food derived sources and like the cheap stuff is just that's pointless i think he likened it to taking smarties but then at the same time if you if you come down on on saying oh you are you can only like the only vitamins that work are the really excellent quality ones and then your diet must be this this good in quality it it's raises the barrier to entry and it means that like most of us are going to look at the price of really high quality vitamins and be like well that's me out i can't afford them and likewise with diets you can like strive to be eating living on bone broth soups and say organic smoothies but do you have the time do you feel like it do you then end up feeling really guilty for not doing it when i was writing my book there weren't very many books about general postnatal health and recovery and the ones that i read were quite naturopathic and they were very detailed about the all the different soups you should be eating um and obviously like I didn't eat those soups or like maybe I did once so I was quite conscious of not making women feel guilty for not doing the right thing and I think what I discovered is uh, I suppose it's, it's got to be holistic in the sense that you do you take a really balanced approach and you listen to yourself and your own body and I think it's really important to be aware of the common deficiencies like iron, the stats on iron deficiency for 
women, including women before they have babies, are quite alarming. Like a lot of us are iron deficient. I suppose it's being informed with enough information that makes you think, oh, maybe one of my snacks today will be a banana instead of another chocolate bar, that kind of yeah. thing. Exactly. And it's that. It's not having much money and not having much effort to put into yourself. But you're also at the same time, it's funny, you're also very vulnerable to marketing and to uh, gimmicks and someone trying to sell you a, a silver bullet solution to whatever is your issue. So like, I feel like those few months after having a baby, that's when I'd spend like 50 quid on anything if it was going to make my child sleep or yeah, like a, teddy, a teddy that hums and makes noise. You'd be like, oh no, of course it's worth 55 pounds. <laughs> I think you're so desperate, aren't you? I mean, I absolutely, my child is not a sleeper, so I would do anything and everything. He still won't sleep at two and a half um, to, <laughs> to make him sleep. And yeah, we are sort of really susceptible to that marketing. And I think we are also susceptible to those images. Um, I mean, I'm quite careful about who I follow on Instagram, but I still find myself being like, oh, do you have problems with your postpartum body? And I sort of think, oh, yes, I do. And then they're like, oh, are you still overweight? And I'm like, oh, I hadn't considered that a problem. It was all my health yeah. problems that I was worried about. And suddenly you start thinking, oh, should I be losing weight or should I be on a diet? And I guess that's not necessarily the healthiest message for us to be getting at that very vulnerable point in our lives. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The strapline to your to your excellent book is what nobody tells you how to recover body and mind. And I just wondered, I mean, I think every single woman that I've spoken to after having a baby says something along the lines of nobody tells you, but blah, 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 blah. Um, so what was your big sort of nobody told me about this? What was the one thing you wish you had really been told about and informed about before you had a baby? So it's really hard. I was thinking about this question and I think part of the problem is that every woman is different. So it's very hard in a way to say, oh, why didn't they tell me when your problem could be very different to theirs, if that makes sense. But I think maybe the, the central thing for me was how long it can take you to recover after having a baby, whether that's physical or mental or just like getting back to feeling like yourself because you're putting enough sleep. My second is now, he's heading for two, he's like one and three quarters. And I think I'm now at the point where I feel like myself. And it was, I think it was a very similar point with my first child. It was nearly two years. The marker for me is like, do I, do I want to make love to my husband? Kind of in the, with a similar pattern to how we did before we had kids. Mm -hmm. Like has to have things settle back into some degree of normality similarly exercise like do I do I also prioritize myself in sense of like oh I'm gonna go for a run this afternoon and like where I don't know six months ago that would have felt like quite a big deal in my head so yeah it took it took me nearly two years with each child and and likewise to feel uh yeah sorry I'm saying this to you but to feel fairly confident of a good night's sleep <laughs> like when you get to that point everything like it's like the sort of mist clears and you feel your head is there again I wish someone had told me how long it would take to recover or to I don't even know if recover is the right word because recover suggests it's a bit medicinal or there was something wrong with you and um yeah I think recover is an important word as well I think I wish that had perhaps been made clearer to me I sort of knew that the bouncing back thing was a bit of a sort of made up uh concept that we didn't just all immediately look like 
celebrities with washboard stomachs six weeks later I was sort of aware of that but but the extent to which there was a like you say in a, in a way a medical recovery to go through that your body has to sort of piece itself back together and 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 the hormones take so long to settle down and things like that so long and I've actually only recently stopped breastfeeding because like it kind of was easy so I just kept feeding him and, mm-hmm. and that's and that's probably why my body's starting to feel completely back to itself again because those hormones have gone now and I think the one last thing I was going to say in terms of what people don't tell you about your recovery and so much of the focus beforehand maybe this is because of what we're fed by the media and this notion of bouncing back is like oh where am I going to look normal again and I think that certainly towards the end of pregnancy there was a point at the end where I suddenly felt quite alarmed by the size of me (laughs) (laughs) and I could not conceptualize how it would ever like go back to normal and yeah, you, you you do view your post-birth recovery in terms of like more of an external look. And then actually I did, like my body went back to something sort of somewhere towards normal quite quickly. So people were like, oh, wow, you've made such a quick recovery. But that's where we don't prepare women because the recovery is nothing about how you look. It's about how your body's functioning. So I think the emphasis post-birth needs to be on the function not on how you look yeah absolutely that's a that's a really good point so in terms of your recovery when you were sort of looking fine on the outside how did you feel on the inside in terms of how far off normal were you feeling at that point yeah I think for cool like the first few months I looked pretty good on the outside for someone who'd just given birth and then inside it was it was like two different things it was basically that if I like had to run or uh, had to sneeze or when I was walking or carrying a baby I would leak then it was the humiliation of that but also the private humiliation because it's not something you kind of talk about or mention so I think that was probably what I found the hardest for the first few months and it slowly 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 improved but when, when I went to the doctor uh, after six months and I said that like it sort of didn't feel quite right and I was still a bit leaky and I couldn't run she sort of said oh that's that's perfectly normal after a big baby and a vaginal birth that was perfectly normal don't worry at all and I had to kind of beg her to to examine me I think the only person who'd actually checked me was my husband and he was so sweet because he knew that like straight off the birth he knew that I was anxious and, and he was like right well lie down and I was like what no way <laughs> you can't do that he's like of course I can I'm your husband and he's very much a fact about that and I'm so grateful to him for that because it did make me feel better about the whole thing and then but yeah the GP it was just really disappointing and then once again she looked at me and was like yeah it all looks it all kind of looks like you it's fair it's fine it's all normal and and then maybe it made me feel very stupid for going to her it made me feel silly and small for wasting her time in going and requesting help for a normal normal condition but then of course it's not normal is it it may be very common but it's not normal and that's the real message that's getting missed yes and it wasn't until a while later that I spoke to the first women's health physio that I ever met and she was so outraged like she was just so cross that these GPs are saying oh it's, it's normal rather than common one of the things that really struck me um that you wrote about in afterbirth was that you have obviously had this really fascinating career reporting from east africa and reporting from 
war zones and areas of devastation where women are giving birth in environments where they have no or very little access to healthcare. And obviously some of them are experiencing some really terrible physical problems as a result. But you sort of said that you never expected, it never even crossed your mind that that might be an issue back in the UK where in theory we have free access to one of the best healthcare systems in the world. We've all heard of the Ockenden report which came out earlier this year and I was born actually in Shrewsbury um, at that hospital and I, I read it now and still I sort of get quite emotional just touching on that subject because yeah the extent of malpractice and avoidable death of babies is just is horrific and I think I naively didn't think that the maternity care in this country could be as bad as that. Yet you see a lot of birth injuries in sub-Saharan Africa and a lot of specific issues like fistula that are going unrepaired. So fistula was something I covered and it's really, uh, it's a a specific hole that occurs between, often between the vagina and the back passage. So you end up leaking basically constantly and where there's no access to clean water and stuff it means that you're you're really basically you quickly start to to smell because like you just can't keep yourself clean it's really hard to keep yourself clean um and women end up completely ostracized and not living in their community their families don't talk to them like it's really horrific and and that was um something i wrote about a few times in east africa and it's sort of slowly the rates of repair for the injury are slowly increasing is it something that can be quite simply repaired if you have access to healthcare? i think it's uh, yeah, so it, it's rare here when it occurs, it's quickly repaired. And the operations, I think, are they're relatively complex, but I think they're usually successful. And I think that thinking about that, with hindsight, then made me think, gosh, of all the women who have like lesser degree injuries that just live with them in, in countries like Kenya and Tanzania, where I was living and working. Women's health physios are extremely rare. MSF does uh, employ some sort of specialist women's health doctors. And I think awareness of things like the pelvic floor will start to grow in in the developing world, but it's still uh, very limited. And yeah, seeing the extent of the problem here also made me realise, gosh, it must be really, really endemic over there um, where there's very little awareness and even less good care. Yeah, I suppose if there's a sort of shocking lack of awareness and support from medical staff in the UK, then I can imagine it's only infinitely worse in countries where perhaps there's even more of a sort of patriarchal system and heart attacks as healthcare. Yeah, exactly. And then you experience it as a woman and you suddenly realise just how much of an impact an injury of that sort can impact your everyday life. Like you you sort of rarely get away from it. After my first birth, when like my pelvic floor was really weak and everything felt like it had sort of dropped down and it was just, everything was uncomfortable and I just felt very like bloated around my pelvis and just very conscious of it. And then, but then when you have something like incontinence that stays with you, it really impacts, has an impact on you. I was just, you know, thinking about all women who don't have access to any support or any means of, staying clean it's like gosh it's really very hard yeah that must be absolutely awful I mean I think you know that is horrific and obviously 
we need to sort of focus resources on on sorting that out but it continues to astonish me how little access to resources women can have here and also some of the attitudes I think we face here like you described your GP sort of making you feel stupid for complaining about something that was a medical issue that you could have had treatment for and sort of dismissing you saying oh no that's just a normal thing that happens after birth. One of the things I wanted to ask you about is in after birth you cite the experience of one woman who just felt very disappointed after her birth because she had a birth injury I I think it was an episiotomy um, which is a sort of cut that's made in the perineum to help the baby come out, especially if you have a forceps delivery or something like that. And um, she really struggled to recover from that and and had sort of inflammation and pain and she really couldn't walk very well for a few weeks. And she just said that she felt so angry because her birth would have been considered a success in the sort of official NHS statistics, like tick, yes, baby's delivered, everything's fine, that's a success. And she sort of felt that actually not being able to walk for four weeks when you have a newborn to look after is not what you could consider a success. And that hugely resonated with me because I had a very rare birth injury and my pelvis dislocated when my son was born. And essentially the joint that holds the pelvic bone together ruptured and my pelvis separated into two pieces. Um, So I couldn't walk at all um, for several several months and I was on crutches for most of the first year of his life and again my husband always says the thing that angers him more than anything and we did have a lot of problems in the care that I had but one of the things that really annoys him is that my birth counts as a successful birth you know tick the box everything went well baby was delivered and you don't look at the impact of someone living for months and months with a disability that impacts on their ability to look after their baby so I just wanted to ask what your thoughts were as to whether we're sort of defining a successful birth correctly, you know, uh, sort of just ticking the box that the baby's happy and healthy and the mother is alive seems to be the minimum requirement. I mean, maybe there is a bit more to it than that, you can tell me. But do you think we need to sort of redefine what a successful birth is? Yeah, definitely. And I know exactly who you're talking about. It was a vaginal birth after a C-section and... Yeah, it, as you say, the, the definition that that was a success and she couldn't walk for a month or so. Yes, we need to redefine what is success when it comes to birth. And I think there is a trend towards becoming more nuanced with it. So the World Health Organization recently published new guidelines for postnatal health. And they, yes, they, they analyze whether you should be taking paracetamol or ibuprofen or all the normal recommendations. But the new angle to it, which is that women need to experience a positive postnatal experience. So it's not just about delivering medical care. It's not just about ticking certain boxes in terms of their recovery. It's very subjective or it emphasises the woman's subjective experience. Trauma counsellors who specialise in birth trauma and they will say it's not what happens to a woman that matters during birth, it's her experience of that. If she's made to feel really safe and supported throughout something very difficult, she may come out of it feeling fine, absolutely fine, whereas a woman could have a much lesser experience in terms of, I don't know, the medical care involved or how serious it is. But if she's not made to feel safe and supportive and she feels scared during that time, then she could come out of it severely traumatised. So, yes, I think we need to build into it somehow that a woman's experience um, of birth, birth and the postnatal period. The sad thing at the moment is that midwives and the health system then for postnatal care are so stretched that 
I don't know how we do that um, with the current funding. I think it comes down the bottom line is that maternity and postnatal health care need to be funded. Absolutely. They're sort of missing millions at the moment, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not that, okay, there are some midwives who are, um, as shown in Shrewsbury, who are not working for the best of the patients. But, but on the whole, there are studies that show midwives go into midwifery because they want to change the system and they want to improve it. Um, and then the working conditions are so difficult that they end up traumatised themselves, or a lot of them have a really hard time and then become a part of the problem because they aren't given the support they need. Absolutely, and there's lots of cases of burnout in the NHS and we've got a bit of a midwifery crisis really at the moment, haven't we, with the numbers of staff that are leaving, so it is very concerning. I'm going to ask you what you think we can do to change that. Um, but first of all, I just wanted to quickly go back to your experience because it's not just midwives who deliver postnatal care obviously it's GPs as well and um, you said you went to GP six months after your birth about your pelvic floor but obviously you also had a, a check at six weeks and I just wondered if you could sort of talk us through your six-week check experiences and what they've been like because I think that is an area where lots of people sort of go oh god that was nothing like I hoped it would be. Yeah, exactly. It's so disappointing because I think six weeks feels like a big milestone when you've just had a baby and and then you have a six-week check and everyone's got questions at that point, whether it's about really painful breasts or um, whether you're healing okay or what your stitches look like and whether your scar's going to be bad or I don't know. Every, everyone has questions that they're worried about and um, you just really hope to walk into a lovely safe space with plenty of time and uh a doctor who will really listen to you. And, and I think, yeah, emotionally, just you want to be heard at that point. Um, and uh, I, <laughs> at least it was in person, this one, because it was pre-pandemic, but I went along and it was the brusque nurse. She's made me cry before, actually, in our practice. <laughs> she literally went through her checklist and was like, so breastfeeding, okay? Yep. This, okay? Yep. Any bleeding? No. But I felt like I sort of passed the test because I was answering them in the right way, like breastfeeding, yes, and uh, no bleeding anymore, tick. And then it was kind of like anything else you want to ask about. And I didn't say any of the things that I'd wanted to because, like, um, maybe that was my fault, but then I don't think it was. I think I wasn't given the space to talk about anything or ask anything. I left the really there's a complex mix of feeling ashamed for not having asked the questions that I should have done for feeling like maybe better because I'm okay I don't know I said I was okay to everything um and and then the second time round, uh, I'd written this book and I'd done all this research and I'd interviewed GPs because I really thought that the six week check was somewhere that um you could really make a bit of a difference even if it is just 10 minutes. So that 10 minutes, you've got a woman sitting there on her own and you can talk to her or let her talk about anything, whatever's concerning her. And like, yes, there's a tendency if we're not careful to say that, oh, this is another thing the woman needs to do. She needs to learn about how to like make the most out of her six-week check. And there's always that risk that we're just putting more on the woman when it should be the doctor doing it much better. But um, yeah, I learned loads about how you can see if there's a woman's health specialist in your practice, request a particular doctor. And then obviously I had all the rest of the knowledge and like GPs had told me the best questions or what to expect. And I went in armed with all of this knowledge. And OK, it was a phone call because of the pandemic. <laughs> um, it was a phone call with a different nurse. But I don't know, somehow it was worse. 
it was just as perfunctory and I tried to talk but then like and I'd had a really I'd had a traumatic experience after my second baby was born because he was born in a huge rush at home the midwives didn't come when they were supposed to they were a bit late um he arrived just before they did and then he didn't really breathe to start with he didn't establish breathing so they were resuscitating him on the bedroom floor and it was really it was really horrific and then he was it went off in an ambulance and spent four days in intensive care. And um, but the six week check, they had they had no idea about this, so I had to explain it all from the beginning again. But they didn't then say, "Are you okay? Like, do you want to talk to anyone?" Because I was obviously a little bit wobbly. But that offer didn't come. And then it was at the end. I was like, "Hang on, I really need to." I I vowed I was going to make the most of this. I was like, "Okay." I would like to talk to someone and I'd sort of gone into, I even started telling her about the dreams that I was having, which were like a mashup of difficult experiences in East Africa and then like babies, ill babies and uh, yeah, these nightmares I was having, but she sort of still didn't really take the bait. And then I had to like force it and I'd say, okay, I really, really want to talk to someone. I had to really push, okay, I really, really want to talk to someone. And she was kind of reluctant and she was like, oh, well, I don't really know. We don't have a counsellor here. I don't know who you could talk to. And she said, oh, sure, I'll put you on triage. So, okay, I'm on triage, which is to speak to a GP. And I was like, okay, well, that's something. And then I also, because I knew that the six-week check was the only time that you get to talk about anything. So I was like, and I would also really like to see someone on my pelvic floor. And again, she was like, huh, no, we don't have anyone here. I'll put you on triage for that as well. And then and then the triage, like 10 minutes later, a practice nurse called me back about the trauma stuff. And... um Again, she didn't have the background, so I then had to explain the whole thing again, which God. was really, it's really difficult. And I, at the time, I found it hard to talk about. Um, and then at the end, she said, well, I can't think who you could talk to, but there is a charity for women with stillborns, and you could call them up and see if they would talk to you. And that felt really inappropriate. So I did not feel supported once again. And I felt let down and really cross with myself again as well. Because I was like, maybe it's my fault. <laughs> but I think it's just that there aren't the services they hear. It's absolutely appalling. And, you know, you were quite obviously sort of putting your hands up and saying, help me here. You know, like I've yeah. been through this traumatic experience. I've had to relive it to you on the phone. You can Twice. tell that I'm upset by it. And, and to sort of get like that, oh, well, hmm. As if like they've never heard that before, as if no one's ever been traumatised for anything that's happened to them in birth before. You know, like they must yes. surely have had to deal with lots and lots of people go through very traumatic experiences or or even if they don't, like you say, who just, you know, it's such a difficult time if you're feeling like low and unsupported and lost, which is so easy to feel when you've got a newborn baby, then, you know, you need the support and you you need to not have to fight for it I think because that's the last thing you feel like actually you want to do exactly and I hate that like if I had to write that in the book it was like you're going to have to fight and what a hard time to tell a woman that she's going to have to fight or to advocate for herself after this experience of trying to um, get some counselling or get getting someone to talk to about it I just went privately and um, I knew a local therapist and she did a short three sessions, I think, of focusing on, on that experience of trauma therapy. It was completely transformative and really helped me to to process it and to be okay with it. And um, I'm so glad I did that, but I'm also cross that for some women that's not an option. And also that there's not enough knowledge to share the fact that that can be really helpful. It's like some of my friends said, oh, I wish I'd done that or 
I, I think I had PTSD, but I'm only realising it now. It's such a postcode lottery as well, isn't there, as to where services are available. So I've been really lucky in that that NHS mental health service down here, although it is pretty overwhelmed. I somehow managed to get in in a sort of weird gap in between when they cleared their waiting list for lockdown and then they opened it up again. I sort of got added to the list without there being too much of a wait. So I had the same trauma therapy that you had. And in the end, I had 24 sessions on the NHS, um, which is incredible. And I'm so grateful and lucky that I was able to do that. But I'm equally angry because I know so many people who would have benefited from a similar thing and they just don't have those services in their area and they don't have therapies that are specialized in birth trauma or that understand that it's a real thing and yeah in my opinion I think one of the big things that needs to change is to level up as a uh we keep hearing that postnatal care services across the country need to be more standardized and that everyone has sort of cheap or free access to women's health physio and and birth trauma services and things like that and and um what you just said about leveling up as well um i think that would help the fact that the the referral pathways are so messy the health professionals don't necessarily know where to send you experts in all of this women's health field they will admit that the referral pathways are very chaotic and very different and and i think if if it was all a bit more level across the country then it would become clearer how and where you refer because it would be easier to generalize and easier to educate women about what they should be doing and also educate GPs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that was, I mean, you may have already answered this question, but the last thing I was going to ask you is what one single thing do you think needs to change to improve the post-birth experience for women in this country? Funding. Funding. If there was only one thing, it's funding. Because I think there is there is a movement there are people like you doing brilliant podcasts like this there are women's health physios who are fighting and they're taking to social media and they're making resources free on social media as well so it does feel like there's this building positive momentum um, and then to harness it the funding needs to be there Jessica's book, Afterbirth, is out now in paperback, available from all good bookshops and online. I've put a link in the show notes so that you can order a copy if you're interested. You can also follow Jess on Instagram, she's at Jessica Jane Hatcher, or on Twitter where she's at Jessie Hatcher. In the show notes for today's episode, I've also put some links to some organisations which provide support for birth trauma and for birth injury. As ever, This podcast is not a substitute for proper medical advice. If you have any concerns about any aspect of your physical or mental health, then please contact a healthcare professional, whether that's your GP, a women's health physiotherapist or a counselling service. Thank you so much for listening today. Please do like us, follow us, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts. It helps please the algorithm gods and means more people will get to see and hear what we've got to say about postnatal health. If you enjoyed the podcast and you want to leave us a review, even better. Don't forget, you can also follow Mother Bodies on Twitter and Instagram at Mother Bodies, where you can get highlights from each episode and some sneak previews of what's coming up. Thanks again and see you next time.